What the hell's the name of this thing? The Ballsy Podcast. Hosted by the award-winning Evan Grant. This is my baby, and these two were just along riding my carpet, my carpet tail. Kevin Sherrington. I did not choose the dance life, it chose me. Barry Horn. You know what my intention is? When's the last time that anybody has ever asked you a question? No one's ever asked me a question. I'm married. Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Ballsy. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. And I'm Barry Horn. To hear our other exciting additions, simply subscribe to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. You know we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. So sit back, relax, that's relax with an X, and enjoy another edition of the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Sports Day DFW podcast ballsy i'm kevin sherrington that is evan grant and that is barry horn and joining us on the phone our favorite nfl play-by-play man the man i want calling my funeral brad sham here's the casket being taken down the (laughs) aisle moving around to the left corner i love it this is great wait a minute isn't that just from your broadcast on thursday Oh yes, yes. They, my! See that just that just wasn't really necessary. <laughs> no, but it was too however, easy. However, it, considering considering a lot of what you watched last summer, it, it's highly understandable. <laughs> wow! Shot returned. That was you not play? so. <laughs> that was not so much a coffin as it was kind of. Um, an incineration but, of, yeah. uh, of the players on the mound. But, but the isn't bullpen. the entire DFW professional sports landscape basically on the same plane now? Yes. I was thinking that actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, that uh, we're, we've hit everyone, every now and then we, uh, we hit one of these, it's happened before, one of these little lulls where all four or if you're a soccer fanatic, five teams are uh, underperforming what you'd like. Uh, and... Um, when that happens, I think about the cities that would like to have a major league team. Yeah. I think about the places that would that don't have the option of going out to see an NHL game or an NBA game or uh, a major league baseball game or an NFL team. So, you know, results are never guaranteed, boys. These are supposed to be games. This is supposed to be fun. You know, it's a week-to-week league, Brad. Uh, so I read. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so here's my thinking, though. This is the week that the, the Cowboys bounce back. I mean, it certainly could happen. I, I think that they have uh, they match up with the team they're playing. Uh, both of them are uh, hospital cases. It's a it's a mash reunion. Um, a division game is one where you know the other uh, team, and the, and I know that they have spent uh, a lot of time, what the owner might call an inordinate amount of time. Um, looking at specifically the reasons for some of the things that happened against the Chargers on on uh, Thanksgiving, and some of it, you know, you, you you can't change the players, but you can change uh, sometimes who plays when and where and how you deploy them. And so I think they'll they'll have been working on that this week. Do you think? Well, let me first say this: I've always believed that you could run the wing T if you want to. If you if you run it well enough, uh, that 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 if you have the right people and you execute it well enough, you can do whatever you want. But the the problem becomes when you don't have the personnel needed to run that really extremely well. 
then that's when things start to break down. You know, the saintly Babe Laufenberg likes to tell me all the time, uh, if you want me to tell you who's going to win, you have to tell me who's going to play. Uh, the problem is that that there are there's not a team that where everybody's healthy, and there are teams, including the one they're going to play this week, that have functioned better than they have the last three weeks, suffering similar kinds of injuries. Sean Lee's a great player. He's an all-pro. He should not totally derail the defense by his absence. So right. something else is going on, and they got to figure that out. I mean, Ezekiel Elliott is a, is a top running back, and uh, his absence should not totally disable uh, the offense. I'm not saying you got enough to win, but you should have enough to be able to play in the, in the last couple of games. Now, some of it, in the Atlanta game, the the left tackle problems, that is an explanation. It's not an excuse, but it's an explanation enough for me. And then some of the other issues, I think, have been the way uh, the entirety of the staff has uh, reacted, and that's one of the things they've been working on. Brad, did, and listen, I, I think in the Atlanta game, the Atlanta game being really the first of this of this trio of, of games, um, life without Zeke and had all three players out, the left tackle issue was clearly a, an issue. The thing that stands out for me over these over these past three games and that is problematic for me is not so much figuring out, well, which player does this team miss more or or is Sean Lee uh, the linchpin to the defense? It's simply it's it's simply for me this that, that the team has been outscored seventy two to six after halftime. Um, I, I think there's some narrative that that is very much a uh, that the coaching staff has to accept culpability for that that there have failed to be any adjustments made. I, I don't know what to make of it. I just know that it's it's a shocking number um, from from my seat, and I'm curious what. What you see from where you are, and, and, and Kevin, what you see from from a general columnist perspective. Well, Evan, I would say uh, first of all that uh, it is uh, really stunning. I don't know when I've seen three consecutive games with this kind of an occurrence, especially on what looked like a certainly a competitive, if not a good team. Um, number two, I'd say of course there's coaching staff culpability. You can't have that kind of disparity that many weeks in a row. Uh, without the coaching staff uh, being culpable. Players are culpable. Uh, the staff is culpable. I stop at, uh, first of all, the dreaded uh, halftime adjustments. This is the biggest bunch of malarkey. The adjustments start on about the second series of the game. A- anybody who understands what happens in an NFL game, and I wrote this in a column on, on their website last week, you've got 12 minutes at halftime. And the 12 minutes doesn't start when you get back from the bathroom. It starts when the clock goes to triple zeros. And so it takes two minutes to get the team off the field and about two minutes to get the team back on the field. Now we got eight minutes. Now in that eight minutes, the first thing that happens is the team goes in the locker room and 60 grown men have to go to the bathroom. That's the first thing that has to happen. And then the players have to have some kind of uh, snack to, to regenerate some of the things that they've lost. And then the coaches are talking to each other, and then the 
coordinators, uh, the uh, the position coaches get with their group, and then the coordinators with theirs. You got about forty five seconds for the head coach to say something to the whole team. Where in the hell in there are these grand adjustments coming from? The adjustments start happening at the beginning. Now in the in the Atlantic, let's back up and let me repeat: there is clearly coaching staff culpability when you have results like this. In the Atlanta game, uh, their biggest mistake, and they know it and admit it, if not publicly, and, and I don't know that they owe us a public uh, acknowledgement. It's, we just need to know that they understand it, and trust me, they do. Uh, they didn't react well to the problems they were having with pass protection against Atlanta. Against Philadelphia, I maintain that, that what happened was that water sought its level. That, that Philadelphia is a better team. They're a significantly better team uh, the way Dallas was constituted that night. And if you go back and deconstruct the game, you see some specific areas where the Cowboys had opportunities to change the flow of the game. They weren't good enough to do it. And by the time we got through the second half, the better team started to show water seeking its own level. Last week was uh, another bit of ridiculousness, which has caused them to reevaluate everything. And, and I, I think that you you can only play with the players that you have. You have to figure out. And I agree with you, Evan, that it's not that uh, Sean Lee's their best defensive player. We all knew that. The, the question is, what are you going to do without him? And some of the things that they have been doing have not worked, and so they're going they're going back and trying to fix that. Yeah, I agree with the the whole artificial boundaries thing. I, we always get tied up in things like that, and and want to place things in nice little neat blocks just because the you know that we change positions on the field that changes everything that just happened. Um, I, my problem has has been with this, uh, or at least it, it's come. Uh, listen, I I was fine with them building the offense the way they built it. That you know you're gonna you're gonna run the ball and it takes the load off your defense, and you clearly needed to do that because of the way the defense plays under Rob Marinelli. Because of the energy expended, they cannot spend a lot of time on the field. So the best way to do that is con- control the clock. And so they that they've built the team this way, and I didn't have a problem with it. My problem was is that. Once that was taken away, and clearly teams are making adjustments. They've made adjustments on Cole Beasley, they, they, uh, the, was a, who was a security blanket for Dak Prescott. Uh, they, you know, we, we've seen uh, Dak, I mean, we've seen Des Bryant kind of uh, grind back down to something of a, a shadow of, of what he it was. Jason Witten, he, he's gotten older. Uh, and he, he's still reliable, but he but he's not the player he once was either. And I, and I'm and I, frankly, I've never been a huge fan of, of Terrence Williams. Uh, so you're, the number of weapons that you have and the, and the and the things you can do to kind of counter some of the things that have happened have been taken away. And I just don't see this team, this coaching staff, coming up with uh, ready solutions. It's not a coaching staff, in my estimation, led by Jason Garrett a guy who makes snap decisions. I believe that Jason is a guy who, who builds consensus. Uh, he, he likes to, uh, to talk to a number of people, to get ideas about things, what other people are thinking. He's not an egomaniac. And maybe you need to be an egomaniac, I think, to be a head coach in the NFL. And, uh, and someone who be able to say, no, this is not working. We have to do this now. And I, just, I, I, I don't think I that's his style. I'm sorry, Kevin. No, no, go ahead. I thought you were done. I would would add that sometimes I think that he, uh, 
One of his strengths is the way he trusts his staff and delegates, and sometimes it can be uh, to a fault. I think that he does not, maybe because he's been uh, an assistant coach, that uh, he he sees the importance in uh, giving some autonomy to a coordinator and a position coach, uh, and sometimes the head coach uh, might have to override that. But another thing that you said, I think, is really showing up, and and that is, in whatever sport it is, whatever team you have, you construct your team, and you construct it based on certain assumptions about some players. And then you start your year. And uh, if the Rangers start their year based on this outfielder being a career 275 hitter uh, who's going to give you 20 home runs and play decent defense, and that starting pitcher giving you X number of innings and winning 12 games, and both of them underperform and show you signs that they've either permanently regressed or you've misevaluated them, you're in trouble because you built your team based on that. I think they've got a couple of players. Uh, they've got a, a few players. A couple is two. I think they have more than two who are um, either regressing or underperforming. And, um, you know, Anthony Brown is a great example of a guy who was supposed to be a... He's supposed to be a supplementary piece. He's a sixth-round pick, and he wound up coming out of nowhere, tackling exceptionally well, and uh, having a surprisingly good rookie year. So they signed Nolan Carroll as insurance, and they drafted two cornerbacks. Injuries kept those two cornerbacks from getting on the field so far in a significant way. I think we're going to see that change. Carroll, for whatever reason, did not hold up. There was some questions about how much he really wanted to play. And now suddenly Anthony Brown is being asked to play a different role than was anticipated when you were building your team. And he, he is perhaps not up to that role. That doesn't mean he's a washout as a... A useful player, but he maybe can't do that. And if Des Bryant is less explosive and can't win those one-on-one leaping battles anymore, doesn't mean he's a bad player, doesn't mean he's not trying, doesn't mean he hasn't got use. It means if you're looking at him and trying to find Julio Jones, quit looking. Yeah. You're not going to find it. And when you have, you know, I think their safeties have underperformed. Some of that's the fault of the front office in misevaluation. Some of it is Sometimes you just don't know when a player is going to back up to the pack. When those things happen, that's, that is really talent evaluation culpability in my estimation. And then coaching adaptability culpability, and then still the players have to figure out a way to execute it. When it all comes together, then you get three games like you got. Certainly at season's end, if things don't turn around, there's going to be a scapegoat. There's there's. They'll have to find the scapegoat. Where will, where do you think they'll find the scapegoat? You know, I just, uh, I know you're right, Barry, and I hate that because what I think it's a terrible way to run a business. And I think that the best thing to do is not to find a scapegoat, but to figure out uh, why have we not achieved our objectives and why, in fact, have we not only not achieved our objectives this year, we've taken several steps back. And, uh, I, you know, I think that the, I think, Kevin, uh, for me, 
based on all my years of coaching and general managing. Uh, I, I, I think that Kevin hit on something when he talked about the way they are constructed and the way the defense has to play. They play fast, they play hard, um, and uh, maybe they need a little bit of a look at that defensive approach. They also, um, and I, I think that most people would agree that Kevin's right, that the way they constructed their team uh, was a sound way to do it. It was against the NFL grain to build around an offensive line and a running game, but it worked. Uh, and and it and it works, and it will work. It will serve them going forward. And they have quite po- possibly. This is a second guess, but they've quite possibly uh, underinvested resources or misinvested them uh, in defensive personnel. Now they've tried to make. Uh, they tried to address that in the last draft. We haven't seen the fruits of it yet, and we may not. But I think that that is something that they have to shift going forward and then I think they have to look at the the way they play defense is this this is this the constitution of a system defensively that's best going to serve uh, the the players they have and the players they can get so that I mean I think that's the most I, I think that's the, the most reasonable place to look to try to figure out what happened if I mean if you're looking for a scapegoat I mean, I think all four of us understand the biblical implications of that, and that's frequently uh, the head coach. And uh, I think that would be a mistake. He's not, he's not fault-free, and, uh, I, and I think that there are some things that he can do better. But I think when you're talking about a head coach, I, think you want, you, you, I don't think enough people spend enough time uh, saying in football, in the, in the National Football League, what is it that you want a head coach to be? Head coaches get fired a lot, uh, hired a lot, based on the side of the ball that's their expertise. And, you know, I'm, I'm really not looking for an offensive coordinator. I'm looking for a head coach, somebody who is uh, versed in all aspects of the sport and the game and the team, who can work with management, who can handle the media part of the responsibility, and most importantly, who can lead men and inspire their uh, confidence and loyalty. And I really don't care if he used to call plays one way or the other, because if I want him to be a defensive coordinator, I'll hire him as a defensive coordinator. Uh, I, I think, and I admit to a bias, but I think Jason Garrett fills a lot of those, checks a lot of those boxes. But I would be surprised if they didn't have substantial staff changes, however the season finishes out, because this, this has been a regression, even given the injuries, because they have not kept pace with other teams who have had similar or worse injuries. But, Brad, this all gets back to the unanswerable question and the unfixable problem, which is things that you mentioned about looking at back at the end of the season and what they what they can fix and how they can fix it. And it comes back when you talk about team construction, when you talk about misinvesting resources, um, when you talk about working with the coaching staff, it all comes back on management. And the management situation is never going to change here. So it I, takes, think I think it has changed, Evan. I think it has changed. In what way? Well, um, I think Jerry Jones has less to do 
with the day-to-day uh, calling of football shots than he used to. As his uh, as Stephen has grown in his job, as Jerry's other uh, businesses have grown, um, I think there's been an evolution. And I think if you presume that this front office and team uh, run the exact same way they did 15 or 20 years ago, I, I think that's mistaken. And I think it continues to evolve and change. I think what you're suggesting is what a lot of media and fans say, which is that uh, they'll never win as long as Jerry Jones owns the team. That's what people say. Well, they have won. They haven't won lately, but you know they were 13 and three last year, and they were 12 and four the year before that, and they have done a pretty good job in some instances of uh, finding talent. And they have not played in the last game of the year. They have not had playoff success, and that's incontrovertible. And so they have to look at what the reasons are for that. But I think to say that the way the team is managed off the field has not changed at all, um, I think it's short-sighted. I think it has changed. You know, I was listening yesterday to uh, the highest-rated radio show in Dallas-Fort Worth yesterday morning, Dunman Miller, and they brought Is up that a plug of some kind. No, but they they no, but they brought up the fact and and just by and they said have the Cowboys quit on Jason Garrett that and you know just by bringing it up, you know they, they didn't come to any conclusion, but just by bringing it up, I think you're 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 pointing in the direction. Have you seen any quit in the players on the field? No, no. I think we know what quit looks like. Yeah. I think you've seen so. I think you've seen some. Uh, um, you've seen some really uh, distressing signs of confusion, and they, they they might be three steps away from that. But I think that it's. Uh, I, I think you don't. You run less of a risk of that if, uh, at the risk of sounding like the head coach, if you have enough of the right kind of guys, and I think they do. Now, they've got some young guys right now on their defense especially who uh, don't know come here from Sikkim in the NFL, and this is confusing to them, and I, I think that they miss some of the veteran leadership they decided to let go in the off season. And I understand why they did it. You have finite resources with a salary cap, and um, there are the, the DFW sports landscape is uh, fairly littered historically with uh, the bodies of good players let go by their teams, uh, gambling that their best days were behind them or that they weren't worth the money that they were asking for. And sometimes Pud Rodriguez keeps playing well, and sometimes Steve Nash keeps playing well. And uh, sometimes Barry Church keeps playing well, and and Terrence Newman's the, still in the league for that matter. Sorry, Terrence Newman's still in the league for that matter. Terrence Newman's still in the league. He couldn't be in the league for everybody. I think. I think. I think <laughs> being with Mike Zimmer is yeah, a big part of that. But still, uh, the, I mean that sometimes that happens, and they made a calculated move to look at their cap with guys especially like Carr and Church, and say, okay, what's it going to cost, not just this year, but down the road, and how do we uh, take advantage of the fact that they've got a rare opportunity right now, which is a quarterback 
uh, playing really well on a rookie contract. I mean, this is one of the things that Seattle's been able to do well. Usually, by the time a quarterback starts playing well, he's in his second contract, and you've got to pay him a lot of money, and he starts to eat up a huge chunk of the cap. And one of the very best things that can happen to you is when you accidentally find a young quarterback on his rookie contract who is producing positive football, and you're not really paying him at that level yet. So you've got to do well around him, and they've still got a couple years left of that with Dak Prescott. And so they tried to, uh, I think what they tried to do is anticipate looking at, okay, on defense, if we, if we let these guys go, they're good players, but it's cost efficiency at their age. So let's try to replace them and get younger. And, you know, we've got this offensive line and this young quarterback and this running back, and all of a sudden you forgot you had to replace 40% of your offensive line, and then you didn't have the running back, as it turns out, for a significant chunk of the season. And a couple of other things happened, and now you wish you had uh, a little bit more leadership on defense. That's hindsight. But uh, but I one of the reasons, Barry, that I don't think I would change the head coach is that I do not see guys quitting. And I think as much respect as I have for Wade Phillips as a football coach, I think in 2010 uh, we saw that. He, he, he lost them. Yeah, and I, and they wasn't getting them back. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I, w- I will say this: I think any discussion about uh, Jason Garrett leaving that's not happening this year. I, I, the, to, to me, there's no way Jerry Jones fires Jason after this season. Now, and if it, now if next year, the, it, uh, similar struggles, and and I could see him, I could see yeah, him making the same move that he made with Wade Phillips. But uh, I, I don't Hopefully think it's not at midseason. No, you would think not. Uh, but but I think that that's that's the case for him. I think he's kind of on a one year notice at this point. I yeah, do I th- think that's a fair oh, observation. Uh, you know, I didn't mean that Jason would be the scapegoat. No, no, no. I know what you're saying. But and will I, the coordinators be well, scapegoated? Most, but again, Barry, I think I, I would just be careful. For me, just for me, I, I would be careful about um, if changes are made. I mean, how can we, on one hand, say changes need to be made, and on the other hand, say this change is made and this guy's the scapegoat? Uh, sometimes you need a different approach. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I, here's what I want to ask you, Brad, about uh, about decisions made, because it was my opinion that when there were wholesale changes made in the offensive line, we remember when that all happened. It seemed like it was it was too much at one time, and it took a little while for that offensive line to kind of to kind of reset and and become what it is today um uh, i you know the same thing has now happened in the secondary it was a wholesale change in the secondary a belief that all these guys could 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 belly up to the bar and handle these new uh jobs and then there was a uh and then of course you, you had to move at linebacker with Jalen smith and all the oversell of of what he was doing and, and whether he was going to be that that uh that that player that he was at Notre Dame so soon. What I would want to know about this decision making process here: how much of that is management, Jerry Jones, Stephen Jones? How much of that is Jason Garrett's input? Do you think? Oh, I think it's collaborative, and uh, but but I don't think anything happens that Stephen and Jerry don't want to have happen. Yeah, I think there could be some things happen that Jason wouldn't pick. Uh, but I think that's probably true everywhere, 
almost everywhere, uh, not everywhere. And, um, not in and, New England. And I, and, yeah, right. I mean, I think that's right. And I think there are probably a couple of other places where it might not be true. And, and um, that's philosophy, but I think most places it is the case. And I think that, um, you know, that's part of, I think you kind of know that when you go in and take the job. But I, I think that, but I do think, that, I've said a, a, a hundred times to people that who, who think that Jerry meddles and imposes himself, and I think instead if he has a flaw, his biggest one in football management is that he listens to whoever got to him last. Uh, he listens yes. to too many people. Yes. But I, I do think that on balance, if you look at uh, what they've done in the draft since Will McClay kind of got control of personnel, the way he has found players, uh, David Irving, you know, off the Kansas City practice squad, that that's that's a really good personnel move. I think that I think that as they have had some of those successes, and both in free agency. Uh, cheap free agency and the draft that Stephen and Jerry have been much more willing to listen to McClay and um, you know if you're asking me if I owned a team I would really want to uh, have the head coach have uh, tremendous authority I, I think that's I think think that's the way to go but um, you know some do and some don't. Uh, some have more and and some have less, but it would be really inaccurate to say that the head coach does not have any authority or interest in player selection. He's got a lot. I don't think it's the ultimate authority. Brad, we're going to let that, you. Did that answer that question? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Brad, Brad, we're going to let you go as, as we promised. Let you go, but but I still have one more. Did question. you say good because we're going to let you go? Yeah, I, I, I just, I've, got, I've got places to go, boy. I just I've got one, and how, how long you how long you stay with us depends on how lengthy your answer to this question is. Uh, well, in that case, I'll be here all day. But we <laughs> but we'd be remiss not to ask you uh, your thoughts on Tony Romo as the broad, the broadcaster. Uh, you know, I don't get to see him uh, a lot, uh, but um, I, I think he's doing well. He's as you know, Barry. I I had a chance to talk to him and and. Uh, kind of see what he um, was bringing to the table early, and uh, I had a sense. The first sense that I had was that he would, that he really wanted to be good and was going to put a lot into it, and uh, that he was bringing a little bit more than people thought. And I can't say I'm an expert on him because I, I don't watch every game. I've maybe seen parts of three or four games, but he has great enthusiasm, which is natural. You can't fake it. Uh, he has tremendous knowledge and an unusual ability to translate that knowledge into the short time frame that he's got. I haven't heard either of the Dallas games he's done, uh, and um, <laughs> really don't feel compelled to go back and uh, did not feel compelled to go back and tape them and, and watch them later. Um, but, I mean, I think he's doing better than in a lot of people thought. You know, he started off getting rave reviews from everywhere. And I hope, for his sake, that the people who wrote the reviews nationally didn't uh, decide that that's 
where the bar was and then come back later in the year and say, oh, well, he's not as good as he was. I mean, holy crap, give the guy a chance. I think he's already exceeded expectations, and, you know, I think he's going to keep getting better. Brad, it's always great to have you on. Uh, we love you. We can't live without you. And yeah, as I, yeah, yeah. And I said, you're, <laughs> I'm expecting you to call my funeral. So uh, I, and I already like the way you started. I like having. I like knowing what it's going to be like. You know, I think about these kind of things. What is what is my what funeral going to be like? What if I die first? <laughs> I don't think it's a fat chance with our, the cardiac history in my family. I, I'm, I'm lucky to make it to lunch. You well, are now looking. We're all Cheered up, aren't we? Yes, we are. You are Thanks, looking guys. live at Thanks, a Brad. sold out Highland Methodist Church. Out <laughs> of Park Methodist. All right, Brad. Thanks, man. All right. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. You know who I'd like to see do your funeral? Who's that? Because you'll be dead, and I'm going to invite him in, Craig Way. He'll tell everybody what you're wearing. What did he do that? Oh my God! He'll he'll detail he'll detail the uniform that you're in. He'll, t- he'll tell everybody which way the casket's going from the carrying left to right. Left Eric Nadell does that too. He likes to always talk about the pitchers and what the pitcher's wearing. He's got, if he's got short oh, sleeves, Craig will, long de- sleeves, Craig will go, go down to the epilogue. The casket is moving left to right <laughs> on your radio dial. What if he doesn't have an open casket? No, there's going to be no casket. You know, we, we're, we're donating. This is a plug here. We're donating the organs and the bodies. No body. No bo- there'll be no body at your funeral? No funeral. Just but be there'll be people sir. at your funeral. It's there'll actually be no, just a memorial service. No body. No Will it be a celebration of life? Celebration of life. Who are you donating your organs to? Anybody who wants them. Well, you want them? Well, you want them? No. Who would want your organs? <laughs> That's a good point. That's another thing I've wondered about. When you say you're going to donate your body and your organs or whatever, what if when you live to be 100 years old, who wants that? Nobody wants that, right? Yeah. Well, no. so I will. Just, um, they're just jacking with you then. You know? Given that you are a teetotaler, I'll, uh, I'll put me on the list for your liver. <laughs> All right, you got my liver. All right, so I want to get to a couple of things. Um, one uh, on uh, uh, one is a specialty for you, Barry. Uh, but first, you know, there was a lot of talk yesterday about Jason Garrett and his frustration is not a productive emotion comment during the, the right wrap up presser. Um, wanted to get your thoughts on on. The significance of that? Oh, I, I'm not surprised by it. I, you know, the, the, although I, I say that last week when he said, the week before when he said that, you know, when the question was asked, I think by our, our good pal Jacques Taylor, you know, did you consider taking Dak out of the game against Atlanta when he was getting killed, and you're and you're down by 20, and he said we play 60 minutes here, which was. I thought my head was going to explode when he said that. That's just coach speak. Well, it is coach speak, but it is really a stupid coach. There, there is bad coach speak, it's, and there is awful coach speak. You know what? And it that is? was one of them. It's just, it's just generic coach speak. And, and but, it, to me, it speaks to the, the the biggest issue I have with Jason Garrett is not that he's a bad coach or anything, but I do think that the one little tidbit that you can glean out of a guy's coaching personality is how he handles thinking on his feet in these well, press conferences. He's very prepared for all that stuff and, and he has a script that he sticks to and I think that's very much the way he manages games. I think that there's not a lot of flexibility, not a lot of adjustment and it is, you know, we're going to do all of these things in the process. Barry, you wanted to say something. I, I just wanted to say it didn't help Jason Garrett that while watching the game, 
Troy Aikman questioned what he was, what uh, yeah. Dak was still doing in the sure. game, and sure. you know, when Troy Aikman questions that, right. that that's a pretty good. But well, th- I mean, that's that we're we're three weeks we're we're three weeks back now on on that, and and I get what you're saying there. I but but the, 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 listen, you just have to understand, and I think we all understand this. Jason Garrett's just trying to get out of the press conference, right? Yeah. he's just trying to get out alive. Uh, and, and oh, he's, he's trying to get out without giving you any uh, don't, information. Don't give out any information. Don't do anything to excite anybody. Don't don't throw any of your players under the bus. And well, look, what kind of what kind of press conference does Bill Belichick give? And Same thing. We're, but we're at the point with terrible. Jason Garrett where you have to parse everything he's everything oh, he said. Oh, what, was he smiling? Was he not smiling? Did yeah, sure. He wink. And, absolutely. It's, and, it's, and let me say this, okay? A coach saying. Uh, for the the way he said it, the the verbiage that he used, frustration is not a productive emotion. That comes out kind of as Robo Garrett. Yeah. But the answer is no different than Juan Washington saying, "Ah, frustration's not in my vocabulary." Right. It's it's no different than Jeff Bannister saying, uh, "I don't look at the Never, at, at frustration. I look at opportunities." Right. Uh, it's all coach speak, and so I think Garrett on that front gets a right now. People are looking for scapegoating opportunities. Yeah, and and when you you know that soundbite is a good scapegoating opportunity. I, I just feel like, and I know what Brad said about the amount of time you've got in the, in the locker room. But look, you've got a bunch of coordinators and a bunch of coaches in the sky putting together information for thirty minutes while the players are all using the bathroom and getting something to eat. The coaches are all communicating. There is an opportunity to get to a point where you do some things a little bit, where you can reconvene and make a few adjustments and do things a little bit differently in the second half. And it's easy to slice it up that, okay, first half versus second half. Brad's right. Adjustments start to get made early in the game. But the one time that you have to actually reconvene and get everybody on the same page and in the same room is that five minutes or so you've got Well, that's what some coaches – look, Rick Carlisle – uh, I think is one of the top two or three coaches in the league. Overrated. Over, over. You, you know, you just say that because the team stinks now, right? Did he not play ping pong with you or something? No, but uh, what players have they developed over the oh years? Oh, my gosh. Nobody, first of all, nobody, looks at, look at me when I'm talking I'm, I'm listening. We're looking at the, at the I'm ceiling. listening. Nobody develops players. Either they're good players when they come in the league or they're not good players in the league. He has a different roster. What, he has what young players does he allow to develop? That's a mistake to think that. That's not a mistake. It's a mistake. First of all, what young player do you want him to develop? I would what, say, what good player has come here besides Dennis Smith in his time here? Jay Crowder was a pretty good player. Oh my gosh, Jay Crowder is, uh, is an okay player, and he became an okay player here. They got rid of him. What? That wasn't his player. I mean, that was his player, but I mean, he's, he's gone. They got rid of him in that trade for uh, for Rondo. So he was already a, a pretty good player when he was here, and he's gone on to be that player in, in Boston. They liked him here. He's done a – listen, when you're trying to win, you can't afford to develop young players. Nobody does. And this is – Dennis Smith Jr. is by far the best player he has gotten here. He has gotten a different roster every single year. You, do you see that happen in San Antonio? No. Greg Popovich has the same players year after year after well, year. Well, you, you said he's one I of mean, the two or three best coaches in the league. Yes, he is. Okay. You, First you, of all, he's one of the only two or three coaches in the league who has an NBA title. He won that with the last he team did. He that did. was not a great team. He, correct. That was not a great team. Not a super team. No. To, and, they, and they won an NBA title, and that may be the last team that ever does that. So my point, point is... point on Carlisle? My point is, is that 
that G, what what GMs don't say about him, what they like about him, they 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 like him as a head coach. They say what he's the best at is coming out of a timeout, coming out of a, a half with a play. That he's he's just a genius at that kind of thing. That is so, so. I think that's one of the reasons. I think that, that Rick Carlisle is a great coach on a number of fronts. Jason Garrett is not that. Jason Garrett is a guy as I as I said earlier to Brad is a guy that when he is you know preparing a team and he does all the right things. I think the players love him. I think the players play hard for him. But I think they're losing confidence in him. I think what happened. I think that's what's happened with Dak Prescott. He has lost his confidence. His his coaches have not put him in a position to to succeed like he did in his rookie it's, season. Put him in a position to get killed against Six, Atlanta. Yes. Six yes. sacks will will shake your confidence. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Six sacks because will shake not, your confidence. Now he can't. But, now but, he's been asked to do things at least by himself on, and that that he can't really do. Yeah, and we talked which about which is this, why he was a fourth round draft. We pick. talked about this with right. David. I mean, to some extent, my my issue has been, all right, so you were going to be without Tyron Smith for a while. You're going to have some issues. Let's anticipate that. Let's bootleg him a little bit. Let's roll him out a little bit. Let's try and buy right. him some time and use what is a good asset. And I I still think that the Cowboys tried to adhere to this is our game plan. We're going to stick with this. No question. He's all about – Garrett's all about preparation and process. I don't believe he's a coach that can't win a Super Bowl. But no, I do I mean, think – but just like, Ron, if just like Ron Washington came this close to winning a World Series, but he but he didn't really do anything. To, he didn't really, on his own part, didn't do anything to get you there, and certainly you can make the case that he might have cost him the World he Series. He got that team to play hard yeah. for several years. They believed in themselves. He had, had a great clubhouse. Allowed them to believe in themselves. Yes. Um, but if he had made a key managerial move, uh, to potentially have the best possible defense on the field, you know what he's supposedly paid to do X's and O's, they probably win that World Series. Right. I I just think, I think if if I'm writing Garrett's epitaph, I don't care about the coach speak and I don't care about any right. of that other stuff. You shouldn't care about the, that. The thing that bothers me is I do feel like for my rather feeble, uneducated, you know, just follow the ball on the field football mind. I just don't see a lot of imagination and innovation. And and I, I could be wrong, and I could just be basing it on recent results, but that's always been kind of the feeling I've got in my mind. Well, I think would you look back on, on Jason Garrett, I don't know about if, I, if I would characterize it as innovation or imagination. I just want the guy to react to the situation. You know, what, what, is, it that we, what is it that we always said about Jason Garrett? We, early on, the criticism was clock management. Right, that's reacting to what's happening on the field. He's not reacting to the situation at hand here, and and I think that has been his his letdown. And I, as I said, there's all kinds of intelligence. Babe Laufenberg has told me many times, usually early on in, in uh, Jason Garrett's uh, term, and he's a big fan of Jason. He loves him. If I could, if he would run for president, I'd vote for him. You know, and and maybe I would too. All things considered, uh, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna jump from Trump to Garrett. Yeah, that's Very right. Nice. But the fact is, there's all kinds of intelligence, and and uh, and he's he's a very learned uh, guy. What I respect about him is, is like, and Barry well knows this. Let's let's just talk about this for a second. He has sought out Barry Horn to be his buddy in the media. You know why he's done that? Because he's read what Barry has written, and he respects that. He he thinks when people in a certain field are really good at something, he seeks that out. 
And whatever, whatever occupation it is, he's impressed by that. He's trying to make himself a better person and, and, and to expand his knowledge. And so he sought out Barry because of that. He likes to talk to him and likes to get in ideas about that and see how his mind works. And boy, what an admirable quality that is. He is he's, he's gone to baseball coaches. He's gone to other, other you know, people. He seeks Mike Krzyzewski yeah. out. Basketball, all of those people. He wants to see what they do. And those are great qualities. Baseball. But you know what you've got to be to be great in this game? Do you think that Jimmy Johnson seeks out anybody? No. No. Jimmy Johnson thinks that he's a genius and he's arrogant about it. And, and you know what? He probably is and was. And, and he made it work. And in a football game, does he turn it around to see if anybody, hey, what's, what's the best idea here? No. He's just like watching Nick Saban. When he's on the field and when the, everything's going into chaos in that game against Auburn, what is he saying? What the F are we doing? And, and the thing about – what you just said is that you know you talk about clock management. That's a, another project, a, another aspect of thinking ahead, and and it does go back to the preparation aspect. Okay, we run this play; it's going to take X amount of seconds off the clock. What if the guy stays in bounds? You've got to run three or four scenarios through your head and, and be ready to make a call. Um, and, and and I do think that when you just quote unquote trust the process a little bit, it's just you know it, it kind of comes out formulaic. Well, who do you who do you think Jason Garrett and, and, in, in, in a game? Who do you think Jason Garrett in, in the midst of a game likes to talk to? Uh, is it one of his assistants? I can't I can't tell that he's talking to anybody in somebody, particular. Somebody who's listening. I mean, he's. I think he has more input on offense because he was an offensive right. guy, and I think he lets Rod Marinelli do whatever he wants to do. And I would, I would say, head coaches and managers. I think in general, you know, we, we I've talked to a couple of bench coaches about how the manager interacts with them during the game, and it's not this kind of ongoing conversation about, hey, what do you think we should do here? What right. do you think we should do here? By and large, the coach or the manager is the guy responsible for thinking three or four plays ahead of time. The other guys are responsible for having plays ready. He doesn't want to have, in most parts, uh, he himself potentially paralyzed by other opinions. He's got an opinion on how he wants to do that game. And, and so I don't think that Garrett spends a lot of time you know, you never know what he's saying on the headset, obviously, but I don't think he's saying, well, what do you think we should do here? Or what do you think about that? And to your point, I think that, that a lot of that, on, on one side, you talk about knowledge. You know, a lot of that, seeking people out, seeking expertise in other fields, respecting people, there's a lot to be said for that. But when you then carry that over into a game situation, clock management, split-second decisions, that there's a thin line there. You know, there's times when Jimmy Johnson – was probably a little bit too arrogant and, and, uh, on the football field. And there's probably times when Jason Garrett has been a little bit uh, too hesitant on the football field. And, and so that's a very thin line uh, th- that's hard to navigate for a lot of guys, and, and even the best coaches. And, and Jimmy Johnson was as, as good as there was when he was here. That, Jimmy Johnson to, was great when he had great talent. When he right. went when he went to Miami, things turned turned. It did, and, well, that, and, 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 that's, kept, and that's my argument, you know, about Jimmy too. Absolutely, you know, and that's a, but that's also the argument about any coach. How great was Bill Belichick in Cleveland? Right, right, not so great, you know. Uh, so I, I think that um, it, it's it's not that Jason Garrett can't be saved or salvaged, and then he can't salvage this team. 
But they're going to have to, you know, make better decisions on people. You know, it's, it's like the, to me, it's like the Jalen Smith thing. You cannot have got yourself in that situation where Jalen Smith is your backup middle linebacker. That, oh. That's a that's a personnel decision. Just, but but let, let me just throw this at you. I know we have to go and everything. If the Cowboys had not drafted him with a second pick, maybe maybe they would have somebody who's helping, Absolutely. helping the team now. Had they not taken Chaz Green with a third pick, Absolutely. the year third before, round pick, third round pick, the year before. Absolutely. And I, and I don't know how much of that is Will McClay. Uh, who I think has uh, who has made a huge impact I think because they weren't drafting anybody at all for correct, a while, correct. and they are getting more players. You know, listen, everybody should be able to get the first round pick right. I'm sorry, you you should basically get that right. I mean, I think we could pick a first rounder, but but you need to be getting the second, third, and fourth round. That's picks what Bruce right. would tell you. Absolutely, oh. absolutely. And so they they're starting to do a little bit better at that. But yeah, you can't make those kind of mistakes. I think I think looking back now, is Byron Jones a mistake? You know, uh, because, uh, you know, the, the Giants drafted uh, uh, safety out of Alabama, and somebody needs to help me here. I've forgotten his name. Who's, who's uh, Landon Collins? Landon Collins. Uh, who is uh, – who the, other, who the other night, somebody on TV, one of the broadcast – I think it was Chris Collinsworth – Called the key to, to the uh, yeah. Well, he's a he's a prototypical safety. He's, he's big, he's bad, great. Yes, he is. And, and listen, I just I just feel and, uh, and I've talked to Gil Brand about this. And Gil says, "Oh no, if I had to do it over again, I'd still draft Byron Jones over Landon Collins." And and he said just because of his versatility, better athlete, and all that. But in the end, that sounds like a scouting combine. Uh, it uh, it is. He well, and that's what he was, right? Coming out of college, that's what he was. A, he was a combine well, he, wonder. He, he, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so, but the point is, is that I'm wondering. I, I wanted to ask Brad this question. I'm wondering if maybe he's not really a cornerback, and they need to move him from safety back to corner, and let he, if he can't make it there, then he can't make it at all. Because I don't think he's a safety. You know, when you. <laughs> Well, uh, we can get into a million different things. We've got a little bit of time to kill before Emily joins us, but but I want to move just off of this because we can question. You're not you're not looking at producer Brian who just oh, who's shaking his head, threw up in his mouth a little bit. Oh, that's why I turned my back on Brian. Yeah, I, I do want to get to this because I heard this discussed a little bit on the ticket this morning, Barry, and this is this is certainly your. Are you talking area. about the 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 highest rated program in the market is Barry plugged it. It is. It, it, was, I, it was Donovan Miller, the highest rated morning drive show in. No, in the highest uh, rated usually show totally in DFW. Um, and and you can catch Donovan Miller from. <laughs> um, you know the problem with that show? Too many commercials. Unlike this. Yeah, that's right. Right. This All one's news. this this show is just too long. Right, yeah. Brian? Yeah. That's oh, what Brian said. Barry, but there was there was they had Peter King on this morning, and Peter King had written something about. Sound the alarm about TV ratings on the NFL, and this has been an ongoing story. And apparently, Thanksgiving Day had the lowest-rated Cowboys local numbers in how long? In as, as far back as I as I keep track, uh, and it does. But of course, there's the excuse of the direct uh, of the uh, Dish TV, the CBS out. thing, the yeah. CBS blackout. But but even if you factor that in, it, it was abysmal. But Thanksgiving Day is usually a very low-rated day because. Ratings count households, and everybody got together at the Grant House, so you had 12 other people there, and so that's, that's ratings. Is there a ratings problem in the NFL? I think so. I think very definitely so. I think it's, it's, just, it's just absurd. You know, you turn Thursday night football, Monday night football. There's not enough good games to go around, and I think that's absolutely the problem, and, and I think people are just beaten up by it, and um, the, the, I think we're, we're going to see the demise of Thursday night football. 
I don't know Good. how the, I don't know how the NFL owners are going to take losing the, the the cash cow that it is. They do nothing, and and the, you know here I, we need another fifty million dollars. Here's the Thursday night game. Right. But but I I, I think I, it, it it's it's insane. Nobody looks forward to do you no do you look forward to watching any game anymore? Does anybody? I, you know what I look no. forward to? I do look forward to the Sunday night game. I, I look forward. I, I look forward to seeing the Cowboy game every week cause yeah. I, because I in Dallas you have to be Cowboy conversant. But I do look forward to the Sunday night game. Usually, it's usually a pretty good matchup, and and I do like that broadcasting combo of of Collinsworth and, and Michaels. Um, but Monday night doesn't do anything for me. And you know, I think NBC has the Thursday night game this week, which is the Cowboys. Right? They, they split it up. Right. Yeah, it's, they have Thursday. But night. I don't look forward to those Thursday night games and in in those. Those color rush uniforms that they've used or have, have just been god awful. So, I, I I do think that there is some of that that you know maybe hey if I miss this game tonight there will be another game in three days it's not a big deal. Um, I wonder how much the streaming services are impact and, and the inability to kind of detect ratings there. Well, that, that's what I'm wondering is how much of it. Is is actual losses of odds? Well, you know, also on Sundays there's a Sunday ticket, and uh, for some reason I we switch to Directv. I get it, I get it, and so like if I'm not watching the game on on uh, CBS or the game on Fox, Fox Four, or CBS Eleven, I may spend the whole day watching a game, uh, you know, out of Detroit because because I have. Uh, a wide receiver on Detroit that I on my fantasy team. Right. So Marvin Jones Jr., who's been uh, uh, here we go, who's been has been a, a, a <laughs> my find of the year. I, I'm a, is it Marvin Jones Sr.? <laughs> have you noticed? Have you guys? Have you guys noticed? I think it's senior. Have you guys noticed that on the backs of jerseys, there's a lot of juniors, seniors, and thirds now? Yeah, uh, what, what's a lot that of hibernations trend? too. Yes. What's 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 that trend? Anyway, I can't look at Brian anymore. Brian is is like. Making faces behind your back. Why Brian, is he so upset? Brian's actually because left. Brian gets paid by the minute. Yeah, and he he, he so he's racking up dollars here. Yeah, but no, true. but I think he has other other places to go and other people to see. I want to say I want to say one thing about this what you're all talking about in the in the demi- not the demise. There's these are the NFL could not continue at the pace it was. It going. could no no it, it was bound to come back down. You're having a correction here because of everything that's going on. But I will say. I think the college football popularity is on the rise. And and I think one of the reasons why is the one of the things that we have said, oh, everybody was afraid it was going to kill college football, Every which is the, is the college football playoff. And that, yeah. that, and that that has that has turned college football into a national referendum every week. But the, the, that, that people you care about other games. You care about what, how you know uh, Alabama or Auburn plays. You, you, in the NFL, you don't really, except for the teams in your division, you don't really care about. Right. I don't. I don't care about the other games. Who who cares? You know, and, and you and in the NFL, it's as we said, it's a week to week league. You know, as, teams look awful one week and the next week they look fine. It makes people think, what are these guys doing? Why are they, why are they so great one week and so terrible the next week? I don't get it. You watch college football. And and the and the great teams are pretty much great every week, and the bad teams are bad every well, week. Well, and the, the thing with the NFL, yeah, you, you said it's a week to week league. It's also a year to year league, and yeah. the, there's no dynasties anymore. There are the iconic yeah. teams that that have their really strong fan bases, but and I think that makes a difference, and but, I think it's a good thing. I don't, I've always thought dynasties were a good thing. Alabama football is a must see. Alabama yeah. football, whether you whether you're a whether you're an Alabama fan or not. 
Year in and year out, it's must-see. Two, two most-watched games of the 2017 season included Alabama. See, when they said that, when, when Pete Rozelle was dead set to make the parody, right? That's what Pete Rozelle's lasting to me uh, contribution to the league. Oh, we got to have parody in the league, so everybody has a chance to win. I think that's bad for any sport. I think in any sport, you measure yourself against dynasties. If, if When the Rangers were trying to beat the Yankees at the end of the 90s and they just couldn't do it, and they ran into one of the greatest you know, baseball teams of the last 30, 40 years every year. They, you know, If it had been the Yankees now, they'd have gotten past them. And they might even have won a World Series back then, but they didn't. But the thing is, when you win those kind of games, if the, if the, when the Florida Marlins are winning World Series, nobody cares. No, not even the, not even Florida fans cared. You know that they won two World Series, and, I, I, and that and no one cares about that franchise. But when you have a great team and you have dynasties, then people care. And when you beat those teams, that really means something. It is it is I huge. Just, when you I, win. I just think the NFL has so evened. The playing field um, with the cap and everything that it is. I, I, I think some parity, some ability for every team to win is good. You know, it, it, you don't want to sit there with eight teams that year in and year out. You but do you care if Jacksonville wins, if Carolina wins? Jacksonville, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars, to me, are the most irrelevant team in the NFL. But if, if they, if they, I got, was not well, aware they had a winning record. Going if, if, the if, if they keep got a good keep, keep up with it, what they've done so far this season, wouldn't you be interested in them? In the, I'd be fascinated by them in the postseason. You would, would? I would. I, I, I don't think I'd be fascinated, no. I, I, I think that I would be um, – I'd be intrigued by, by – checking out their score but i don't think i'd be i gotta watch the jaguars i gotta see blake bortles no i, I don't yeah. I, I also would be i don't want to see those hideous helmets does this come from the time you lived in florida is, is this is this something no. an, an anti-florida thing no uh though i do hate the dolphins don't you like watching the char- I, I i love watching the, the los angeles chargers now i, I that offense is is Something to you mind. do, I do. Well, and they're really good. People in Los Angeles don't like watching them. Trust no. me. No, no, you're right. But we like watching that team. That's kind of revel- yeah. I, I don't listen. I I'm, I watch the local teams. I don't know. That's just what I've always been. I just care mostly about the lo- local teams. I don't really care that much about the national teams unless well, that's why because you know, I don't play fantasy football anymore, and oh. so uh, so I don't pay attention to that. But in, in college football, I've, I've expanded my horizons a little bit. Me too. And, and I think you know, and I guess because of the CFP. Well, it's partly because of the CFP, and I also think, you know, in Texas, because we now had um, A&M split off to the SEC, people couldn't just be a Southwest Conference right. or Big 12 uh, fan fan base. It, you had to expand a little bit. The CFP does make you, okay, like uh, three weeks ago, when, when Georgia played Florida, I was also interested in the Oklahoma uh, Iowa State or the uh, TCU Iowa State game. I think did, it was. Did, did you have an interest in the Central Florida South Florida game the other day, which was on ABC? I did not. I did not either. I and, did not. And, and, and why would you? And it was apparently well, a really it's, fun it's, game. It's, it's, it was a great game. It was an undefeated team versus a one loss team against you know Charlie Strong was on the other sideline. I would be interested. And I, I, I try to force myself to watch that game. I could not. No. Um, but uh, because you don't know the players, right? And you, and it's just. You know, it, 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 and I and I like Charlie, and I'm and I'm interested in how he's doing. Uh, but uh, that would be that would be the only reason I'd watch that game. The NFL, I'm I'm drawn to the Cowboys, the Falcons because of my boyhood fanship. Uh, be, being aware of what's around in the NFC East, and we always get 
an NFC East game here if, if we're not watching the Cowboys. And then I've got some interest in, in the kind of iconic teams or players. But to just watch a game um, because it's on, no, I don't have much interest. Would you Would you have interest in watching the Eagles the rest of the season? I do. Yeah, I, I would. I, I mean, I'd, I'd like to see Wentz. I'd like to see more of Wentz. I'd like to see more of Jared Goff. You know, I've I've liked what I've seen from both of those players. Yeah. Um, and, and I am interested in them. Um, I think it's you know, interesting to me about the Carson Wentz, Dak Prescott dynamic there is that you know, the Cowboys fans will always point out, and rightfully so, if you know, until the last couple of weeks anyway. If you compare their numbers, their numbers were very similar, you know? Yeah. Not a lot of difference. So all these people who like Carson Wentz better. You couldn't watch that game the other day and not think, oh, Carson Wentz is better. The, one guy was a Cadillac. One the ball, the ball comes out of his hand better. The, you know, he, he's, he's just as athletic. As Dak is, and uh, he's, North- big, he's big and strong like Dak. Yeah, and so he's got all the things that Dak has, and he's got a little bit more. He's he also, also North Dakota tough. He also looks like Prince Harry. He does look like Prince Harry. You're Who's right. engaged now? Who's engaged, engaged to a woman from L.A., I believe. Well, well, didn't that used to be a scandal? <laughs> <laughs> look at Brian! <laughs> <laughs> he thinks now we got into People magazine. Oh, my God. Meghan Markle. <laughs> Yeah, Megan is, is that her name? From Suits, yes. Um, all right, we should go. Uh, Brian's about to kill us. I, I don't understand. Why are you upset? Because it's almost an hour long. Well, here's what I'm going to suggest we do. I'm going to suggest we break this up into two podcasts. Really? I think Evan, Evan when, when Evan started to talk about uh, NFL ratings, I think we should break this up into two. Well, we'll figure it out later on. And Cause we're, 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 we're going to set a record. Everybody... Take care. Yay! Wait, 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 wait. Wouldn't we be wouldn't we be remiss in not saying goodbye to our studio? This is our last. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not the last one because this we're is our doing last one. podcast from this studio. We're doing the Rangers podcast from last this day one. working here. Last day here. Okay. Do you have memories of the studio? <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Cowboys Ballsy with a Z podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.